truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, March 8th, 2022, the 412th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. All right, starting off, just got to address the whole podcast cancellation thing. I know some people are still having trouble finding the show. I apologize for that. I promise you it is far worse for me than it is for you. You can solve that problem or you should be able to solve that problem simply by downloading an alternate podcast app. And there's not that much difference between the apps. I was talking yesterday about the interview Adam Curry did with Glenn Beck. One of the things I forgot to mention yesterday that I wanted to is he brought up the idea that that podcast app you're listening to podcast with on your phone is basically just like having a radio, right? It's not the station. It's the radio. So it doesn't really matter which radio you use. The same thing is going to come through it. And Podcast Guru is actually a very modern, slick app that is nice to look at. And the functionality seems great. So that is my solution for now. And it seems to be an effective one. So I would suggest to everybody to give that a try. Although if you're hearing me say this, then you've probably already figured something out. I will try to post the video versions on Rumble and BitChute, but I can't promise to do that every day because it's a more involved process than you think it should be. And so that's not really a comprehensive answer. Anyway, that aside, I want to start off today kind of where I left off yesterday, talking about the 2020 election and the overwhelming and obvious evidence of fraud in that election and a stolen election and the fact that there's no way in the world Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes and anyone who has ever looked at the situation at all or thought about it at all would know that. It's one of those obvious truths that you can just draw from the world without a whole lot of thought. The sky is blue. The grass is green. There's no way that Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes. These are just natural truths that appear in the world. You can just walk around in the real world and they will fall on your head from the sky like so many droplets of rain. And the only reason that everybody doesn't agree on these natural and obvious truths is because there is a segment of our population totally plugged into the central narrative 
and they will not look at any information outside of the central narrative. Information outside of the central narrative scares them. They don't know what to do with that information because they have abandoned free thought. Their thoughts only become safe when they have the television backing them up. What the television says is their North Star. It is the source of all truth. They'll pretend that they got their information elsewhere. But the amazing thing is when you are having a conversation with someone who, for instance, thinks that the vaccines are very safe and effective or thinks that Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes, you can ask them questions like, hey, do you know a lot about that thing you're saying? And they'll think that they actually do know a lot or that they at least know enough or that they at least know enough to know that you're wrong. And if you weren't wrong, surely someone would have told them they are, after all, the sorts of people who know a lot of things. But they don't actually know about the thing you're talking about, and you can prove it to yourself and to them really easily. You'll find that their first response is always the exact same thing the television says. They never disagree. They might believe they got it somewhere else. They might not think that they believe it because of the television. Okay, well, how does it turn out that you ultimately agree with the story that the television says about everything? And how come the thing that the television says is always your go-to response? Like if I say, okay, friend, <laughs> I understand that you don't trust this wealth of information that I have that I am prepared to communicate to you because you think that I must be wrong relative to what the television says and what the experts say. You know that there is some sort of consensus of experts on your side. You see them come up all day on the television or in the very, very diverse news sources you read. And because that group of people that you're told constitutes a consensus because they all say the same thing that the television says, slight variations of it, of course, there must actually be some consensus. If there wasn't, surely the television would show you. If there was some doubt about whether or not the vaccines were very safe and effective, the television would let you know because they care about your health and safety, as they've proven now for two years by saying over and over again, they care about your health and safety. They haven't been right about anything so far, but you can't doubt their caring. <laughs> it is just a factor of their caring that they are so willing to be wrong so often because they know that you'll believe they were doing their best the whole time, just like you were. Remember? Sure, you were wrong about lockdowns and masks and vaccines and the election and Black Lives Matter and January 6th and Afghanistan and Ukraine. I mean, now you're following and supporting Nazis. But hey, you're trying to do your best. That's what we're all saying. We all agree that you believe you're trying to do your best and your best just doesn't happen to include considering whether or not you're wrong. And whether or not the television is wrong. And that is why all of the answers you will ever get in conversation from these people will coincide exactly 
with what the television is saying. Now, we have talked for a long time on this show about how the central narrative remains important, even though it's almost entirely wrong all the time and wrong intentionally because it wants you to believe something that is not true about the world. It wants you constantly to believe something you could never draw out of the world as truth, like that the sky is blue or the grass is green or there's no way in the world Joe Biden could have ever gotten 81 million real legal American votes, especially not when they provided him all his winning margins after the election was over. But to whatever extent, people are still addicted to the central narrative, and they may have given up the central narrative about certain things like COVID, for instance, masks, lockdowns. Maybe they understand that the vaccines are actually quite dangerous and that they can't prevent anything from happening that has to do with COVID. They only make results worse and they damage immune systems. Maybe they've woken up about some of those things, but they need to wake up about all of it. And that's a process. And to the extent that that process matters, and I would argue that it absolutely does, then it matters to some extent what the television is saying and how the central narrative is shifting. When the central narrative begins to finally shift, that's when people's minds really start changing. And some of that we could see a couple of months ago when Dr. McCullough and Dr. Malone went on Joe Rogan's show and all of a sudden there was a huge uproar about all the COVID truths that people had been denied for the last two years. Finally, now there was a major platform saying these things. And then finally, it becomes okay for certain types of people who actually are not brave at all to finally begin telling the truth. And we saw that on the Bill Maher show with Barry Weiss talking about how she and her friends were kind of just over COVID now, two years later. Now she's figured out all the new truths that were around for two years while she was not paying attention and was busy calling people conspiracy theorists and working from home. But all of that is still important because what I do, what I try to do, what the people who are doing similar things to me try to do, what the effect is, and I hope what you all are trying to do, is be on the leading edge of that, right? So we are trying to push the Overton window open so that we can begin to talk about certain truths and people can begin to understand those. And then those truths kind of bubble up and eventually make it into the central narrative. That's how the flow of information works. And and that's how we need it to work until the central narrative has been totally abandoned. And the media is doing a great job of forcing people to abandon the central narrative just by lying so often about everything, being so wrong, so stupid, so malicious and so corrupt. They're helping the cause. But if we're going to be out there on that front edge trying to figure out what is actually going on so that people can understand there is a reality that they are not letting you access. Well, we can't just expect normal people going about their daily lives to jump on board with what we are doing. And that's a conscious choice for me. And I'm sure it is for a lot of the other people doing this. We try to tell the whole truth as we see it. We try to get the best information we can get and analyze what it might mean. We're trying to understand a very, very complicated situation, always in real time. 
But so many of the people downstream are not going to be open to that stuff. So they need some of this information to come up to them in much smaller doses through sources they're familiar with who speak to them on the level that they currently understand. And while we can't trust any of the figures in the news media to do this job well enough when they've spent the last 16 months or so ignoring election fraud completely, they still can provide a great benefit once what we're doing has seeped into what they're doing. Now, the only person that I make exceptions to on this at all is someone like Tucker Carlson. And I guess to some extent, I hold out hope for Joe Rogan, though it is continually unrewarded. But Tucker Carlson may have turned a corner. Last night's episode was honestly like really hardcore for what the central narrative is prepared to accept. It seems like he's been a bit unshackled in some sense, and he really went for it last night. And of course, all that's great. But he finally got to some real meat on the election fraud stuff by having former Supreme Court justice in Wisconsin, Michael Gableman, on his show. And I'm going to play a bit of that for you. So you learn a lot about what the people in charge care about by what they won't allow you to say. And at the very top of the list of things you're not allowed to say can literally get you silenced and censored for saying is that there was voter fraud in the last election. But the fact is there was. And the deeper you dig, the more of it you find. The Wisconsin Office of Special Counsel has just released its second report on the subject, and it's pretty unbelievable. The report found, among other things, quote, 100% voting rates in many nursing homes in Brown, Dane, Kenosha, Milwaukee, and Racine counties. Several of these nursing home residents that had voted had been previously declared incompetent. Michael Gableman is the special counsel to the Wisconsin Assembly. He's also a former Wisconsin Supreme Court justice. We'll be speaking to Mr. Abelman at much greater length at Tucker Carlson today, but we wanted to preview the conversation right now. Mr. Abelman, thanks so much for coming on. Now, I, I, the report is, in my opinion, pretty shocking, but just give us, give us the overview of what you found. Tucker, the, the overview relates right back to what you said in your opening segment, the relatively unremarkable observation that all lives are equal. Well, yes. it should be relative. It should be also unremarkable to say that all votes in a democracy are equal. But that wasn't the case in Wisconsin in November 2020. We had a wave of massive election bribery in which government officials in the five Zuckerberg sponsored cities participated, as well as what you related uh, when you introduced your audience to me which is the government-sponsored elder abuse, all to wring out votes from people who frankly were victimized by the very people at the Wisconsin Elections Commission who are supposed to keep our voters safe. I'm a little confused. So Mark Zuckerberg is a tech billionaire. He's not a government official. He has no legal or constitutional right to control our elections. But it sounds like he had a great deal of control over the elections in Wisconsin. He had a great deal. He adopted a plan by a guy who became his employee named David Pluff, who wrote the unsubtly titled book, A Citizen's Guide to Beating Donald Trump. And, and in Nove on November 11, 2016, David Pluff did a post-mortem on the Hillary Clinton uh, campaign, Failure to Win. 
And he said the two big mistakes that the Hillary Clinton campaign made were failing to target cities like Milwaukee and failing to drive out the numbers of the African-American vote. And so Mark Zuckerberg has $330 million that he's going to spend to defeat Donald Trump. And he puts David Pluff's lessons in the, of the 2016 campaign into operation in Wisconsin. And now we are seeing a complete cover-up and obstruction by the very so-called public servants who ran this election, who should have been in charge, but who delegated it out to Mark Zuckerberg's agents and virtually employees. We had one guy, Michael Spitzer Rubenstein, a lawyer from Brooklyn, New York, who was running the election site on election day in the city of Green Bay, one of our five largest cities, also one of the five cities to receive Zuckerberg money, $8.8 million between the five. It's just, it's all beyond belief. And you'd think that people who wanted to defend democracy would be outraged, but of course they're in favor of it. Michael, this report, I, and again, we haven't always highlighted voter fraud on this show, but this report proves it. It's horrifying and really look forward to speaking to you at much greater length on Tucker Carlson's today. So we'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Now, a lot of that stuff we have already gone over on the podcast. So I'm not playing that clip so that you think he's breaking news. But he is breaking news to a certain type of person, okay? A lot of these people, a lot of people who still watch Fox News, who don't care much about election fraud, they think maybe it happened, but they don't realize why that might be a big deal as the world falls apart. Those people are watching Tucker, and they haven't gotten any of the election fraud news because they like knowing that the TV agrees before they will think something. So now they can see that the TV agrees. Tucker Carlson admits, well, we haven't spent a lot of time covering election fraud. That's its own subject. There's not an excuse for that. Maybe he's going to come out and say that we had this plan. They asked me to take it easy. People on the Trump side, I believed in election fraud the whole time. Hey, I don't know. That's for Tucker Carlson to try to explain. But the Gableman stuff is big, and it's big that it's on Tucker. And this will allow the narrative to move forward with people who have been resistant to listening for this long. Because a lot of them have probably had the feeling that maybe there's something to the election fraud claims. Maybe all these censored people weren't crazy and dangerous the whole time. And stuff like this allows them to give shape to that. And it allows them to not be afraid to talk about all of this stuff in public which, as silly as it sounds, is one of our biggest problems. It's that people are so afraid of being called stupid or being punished or being censored, including in their small circles, in their family, with their friends at work. And they need the reassurance that other people are actually taking this seriously in a public way. So we've been following Tina Peters in Colorado for quite a long time. Since the cyber symposium, since it was revealed that she was able to get a full forensic image of the election systems in her county, Mesa County, Colorado, she got the forensic image made before Dominion came in and did their trusted build. And by trusted build, they mean erase all the past stuff so no one can ever check it. And they've gone around the country doing this. There are some reports that 
other elections officials around the country have taken forensic images as well. But that's stuff that still has yet to come to light. So she released a report on all of this, brought some new information too. I'm going to share the executive summary from that report. This report documents findings in an ongoing forensic examination of images of the hard drives of the Dominion Voting System Democracy Suite version 5.11-CO election management system server of Mesa County, Colorado. The DVS, that's Dominion Voting Systems, D-Suite, Democracy Suite, EMS server in that configuration was used for all elections held in 2020 and through May 2021, including the November 2020 general election and the April 2021 Grand Junction municipal election. This voting system represents a portion of the overall election system infrastructure in Mesa County and the state of Colorado. This report is limited to a subset of the findings of an ongoing investigation. Report number one is incorporated by reference. The findings in this report were prepared by me as a consultant to the legal team representing Tina Peters, the Mesa County clerk and recorder, pursuant to her statutory duties as Mesa County's chief election official. And that part's important because her duty is to actually make sure that the election was run according to the rules, to the Colorado State Constitution, and to the federal election laws. And so if it wasn't, if she finds out it wasn't, if things like the trusted build happen, which go outside of all of those regulations and are in fact illegal because they have to preserve evidence of their elections, then her duty is not being fulfilled. And people like her all around the country have known that they are not fulfilling their duty and just turned the other way. So we should be thankful that people like Tina Peters are out there risking her life in some regard. She has been arrested multiple times. She's been harassed continuously for six plus months now, and she's dealing with all sorts of frivolous lawsuits to silence her. So these are the critical discoveries from the executive summary of the report. This report details the following critical discoveries regarding Mesa County's voting system uncertified software installed, rendering the voting system unlawful for use in elections. It does not meet statutorily mandated voting system standards and could not have been lawfully certified for purchase or use. It suffered systematic deletion of election records, audit log files required by federal and state law to be generated and maintained which in combination with other issues revealed in this report, creates an unauditable backdoor into the election system. It violates voting system standards, which expressly mandate prevention of the ability to change calculated vote totals. This report documents this noncompliance from the logged in EMS server from a non DVS computer with network access and from a cell phone which may be possible if any of the 36 internal wireless devices in voting system components are deliberately or accidentally enabled and a password is obtained. And she noted on War Room this morning, Tina Peters did, that none of these machines were even supposed to have wireless devices in them. And of course, we hear it repeated constantly that these machines cannot connect to the Internet, which has always, always been false. 
mandatory VSS system auditability required features are disabled. It's configured with 36 wireless devices, which represents an extreme and unnecessary vulnerability and which may be exploited to obtain unauthorized access from external devices, networks, and the internet. It's configured through firewall settings to allow any computer in the world to connect to the election management system server. That sounds dangerous. Uses only a Windows password with generic user IDs to restrict and control access. That means that anyone who has a user ID and a password can get on there. And neither of those are particularly hard to obtain. And they are used on multiple machines by multiple people. These are just creating possibilities by which the election system can be accessed. Contains user accounts with administrative access that share passwords, as I was just saying, subverting VSS required user accountability and action traceability controls. And it uses a self-signed encryption certificate, which exposes the system to the risk of undetected compromise or alteration. Again, These voting systems are not created to make elections more efficient and more secure. That is what we are told. Oh, we're in a technical age now. We don't need to go back to the dark ages where people just voted on a piece of paper and then everyone added them up until all of them were gone. And then you have the result. That is way too complicated, way too much work. And that idea is the sort of thing that makes sense. If you don't think about it at all, you think, well, there's 300 million people or 340 million people in the country. They they increase the population of the country whenever they need to. By the way, if anybody believes any of these numbers are real, I don't know what would possibly lead you to that conclusion. They just tell you a new number. Oh, it's 300 million. Now it's 320 million. Now it's 330. Just last year, they decided it's 340. I mean, they've been importing tons and tons of people. I mean, we probably have at least 30 million illegal immigrants in this country, but they count too. They should be able to vote. But you take that top line number, you think, oh, there's so many people. We must have some way to make this more efficient, to streamline the whole process. Well, I know let's put computers in there and the computers can just read the papers and then they can add them up all for themselves. And we'll just trust the computer, certify the election. And then Joe Biden gets to be president. Well, that doesn't make any sense because we don't trust the elections anymore. And most of the country agrees with that. The Democrats spent years trying to say that Donald Trump hadn't really gotten elected. And they've done the same thing when someone they don't like gets elected. They've done it for decades. Stacey Abrams still doesn't believe that she lost her race in Georgia because she's certain she put the election fraud system in place perfectly. That is what Stacey Abrams does. If the machines actually worked, and no one doubted them, then none of this would be happening. But the machines don't work. The machines exist so that they can create all of these loopholes, all of these little problems, all of the little ways in the back door, as they called it. That's all there so they can cheat. And no one should doubt that. Why would you make all of these complicated rules and laws, everything complicated within the computer system, leave them open to internet hacking and Everyone knows that can happen. Okay. That is not in dispute, except in the context of the 2020 election. You can go watch Kill Chain on HBO, if it's still up, 
and see people like Amy Klobuchar and Kamala Harris talking about how the machines are vulnerable. Everybody agreed before the fall of 2020 that those machines were vulnerable. Now, since Joe Biden got 81 million votes, the machines are very safe and effective, just like the vaccine. Just considering how complicated these systems are and how much litigation and how much time is spent figuring these systems out, that alone takes away the efficiency argument of using the computers in the first place. All we need are small precincts everywhere. A few hundred voters at each precinct. They vote on paper. The votes are tallied. There's an auditable paper trail that shows the votes that attach to the voter and the voter can verify that their vote was legitimate and counted. That can happen everywhere. It's not hard, but instead they want to centralize it. They create massive voting centers. So all the cheating can happen in one place. They can set the rules of that place as they did in 2020. You remember people being pushed out of counting rooms, pizza boxes being used to cover windows so that no one could see the election as it was taking place. The poll watchers were kept away from watching the polls. Why would they do that if they were running their elections above board? And of course, they weren't. We have the video evidence of Ruby Freeman and her daughter, Wandria Shea Moss, pulling ballots from suitcases hidden under a table and then running them through machines over and over and over again at the State Farm Arena in Atlanta. But we're told that was debunked. So the Georgia stuff, speaking of Fulton County, is still ongoing. And uh, Garland Favorito had another presentation of his evidence in his case yesterday. There is a great summary of that from Liberty Overwatch. Voter GA provides conclusive evidence showing Fulton County 2020 election results were electronically manipulated. 524,000 votes in question. Voter GA announced at a press conference today, this is from yesterday, obviously, a 15-point analysis that documents clear, irrefutable evidence of how the November 2020 Fulton County election results were electronically manipulated. The analysis was based on a year-long study of ballot images conducted by an expert-laden volunteer research team. The ballot image research was made possible last year when the Georgia legislature passed SB 202, which made ballot images public records. The ballot images were collected statewide by a voter GA open records request team. The 15-point analysis that can be verified through public ballot images at gaballots.com or other sites found the following problems in Fulton County. Okay, Fulton County, just Fulton County. That's where Atlanta is, yes, but that is only one county in Georgia. 17,724 final certified Fulton County absentee votes have no ballot images, representing 13,303 extra Biden votes and 4,279 extra Trump votes. That's a net of 9,024 mail-in votes that cannot be substantiated. The difference in Georgia is, I think, around 11,800 total votes. And just right there, that's 9,000 extra Biden votes that cannot be accounted for. So 17,700 votes in that election have no ballot image. Those are not legal votes, okay? 
And right there, we are already up to Joe Biden's fake margin of victory, pretty much. All 374,128 in-person Fulton County ballot images from the original election count are missing and cannot be authenticated. Well, that's awfully strange, isn't it? I wonder if they took everyone who voted in person and just threw all their votes into a pile and then later just separated them out as they needed. Well, we got to get Biden this number and we can't make it all Biden. So we got to give Trump this number. That is actually what's happening. They are creating the results they needed. And we went through that yesterday when we were talking about the Texas primary election in Texas Senate District 11, where Bianca Gracia was robbed, literally robbed of votes. They had already published her totals from the early vote that were higher than her final total. She was in first place and then she went to last place by a lot. 132,284 of the 148,318 mail-in ballot images are missing their authentication files and cannot be verified as legitimate votes. Okay, well, that's 12 times Biden's win. Only 16,034 mail-in ballot images had authentication files, and those files, which should be generated automatically at the time of scanning, were added days after scanning. 4,000-plus tabulator images have impossible duplicate timestamps. 104,994 image files in 1,096 batches have impossible duplicate timestamps. This is hundreds of thousands of votes that are not legal, should not have counted, and should not have been certified. Images in 288 batches have backfilled timestamps out of scanning chronological order. So the votes, as they are scanned, create a timestamp, and you should be able to see this vote was scanned this time, then it was this vote, then it was this vote, then it was this vote. And instead, they all just have the same time. The timestamp wasn't created, and then they just fill in the information as they need. And they say, yeah, that just must have been human error. Or, yeah, you know, but there's nothing we can do about it because our experts say that there's no recourse. You can't decertify elections. It doesn't prescribe exactly how to do it in the Constitution. They actually make the argument. They are making a positive argument that the Constitution was written in such a way that people could steal elections. And so long as enough people agreed to steal the election, then there's nothing we could do about it. That's crazy. All ballot batches were improperly forced to adjudication to facilitate tampering. And again, adjudication is when the machine says, and this can be affected by the machine settings, the machine says they can't read the vote. So then that vote goes to adjudication and one of the poll workers decides what the voters intent was. And then they can put that vote back through with the intent they assign and a new ballot image is created and they can do this in batches of 50. Why would you ever need to do that? And why in the world with a properly functioning system would so many ballots need to go to adjudication? That kind of either says that the machine doesn't work at all or that the machine is specifically set up to create opportunities for adjudication 
to change people's intended votes on purpose. Ten ballots were impossibly adjudicated in one minute by one user. So let's assume that the adjudication process is working correctly and that all the poll workers have the best of intentions. Are they able to go through an entire ballot and know what the voters intent was for every selection they made? They're able to do that on 10 ballots in one minute, take six seconds to examine a whole ballot, figure out what the voters intent was, and then fix their vote for them. 941 image files were backdated prior to adjudication. Well, that sounds weird. Same 12 tabulators closed 148 early voting polls masking identity of the scanning tabulator. One tabulator serial number impossibly closed two polls in the same overlapping times. One tabulator was never closed and may have added many illegitimate votes. That's convenient, huh? Well, let's just keep that one tabulator open just in case. 85 closing tapes for 12,024 election day ballots are unsigned or missing. So now they've made it. Oh, it was human error. But sorry, we don't have any accountability for these tabulator tapes. I guess everyone just forgot to sign them. Sorry. All but two tabulator closing tapes for early voting are unsigned, representing 315,000 ballots. Georgia law requires closing tapes to be signed by a poll manager and two witnesses. So just in this case alone, just with that list of items in Fulton County, we're talking about over half a million votes in an election that we were told Joe Biden won by 11,800 votes. Think of all the different ways you just heard that this election broke down. At best, these are regulations not being adhered to. Okay. If we have all these regulations, if this is the system that everyone has agreed to with these machines, then all those regulations need to be followed. And it's the responsibility of everyone involved in certifying the election to make sure that all that stuff was followed. Who did that? Sounds like nobody. So how much do Georgia's representatives actually care about the people when they go and certify an election that is this much of a disaster? And Brad Raffensperger and Gabriel Sterling and Brian Kemp and all those other clowns in Georgia. They talk about how they've checked through all these problems and there's really nothing there. They're on a debunking campaign that never ends. Just, oh, we debunked that. We debunked that. We debunked that. Well, they haven't debunked any of this. Voter GA emphasized that while one or two of these may be procedural issues, the electronic tampering found so far is not limited to Fulton. Co-founder Garland Favorito said, in fairness to Fulton County, they did preserve enough of their ballot images to make some of our research possible. Other counties like Cobb destroyed most or all of their original November 2020 images despite federal and state law. This tampering and destruction is proof positive why Georgians cannot trust the 2020 election results. We desperately need an independent multi-county audit immediately to secure our elections before 2022 primaries. And nothing can be more obvious. Now let's think about all of these different ways 
that these elections become illegal, right? In Wisconsin, they had multiple problems, not even just the ones that Gableman has mentioned, but of course, the Zuckerberg money, the drop boxes, which Wisconsin courts found to be unconstitutional, the indefinitely confined voters, which Wisconsin courts found to be unconstitutional, the fact that Mark Zuckerberg's downstream employees went in and helped run the elections in multiple places. So there are all of these ways that the election was not held according to the law right from the beginning. Okay. That is manipulation that is outside of technically what you would call election fraud. Okay. That is a system being put in place to allow for election fraud. Then you have just the straight up cheating kind of stuff, right? Doing ballot harvesting where ballot harvesting is not legal. Doing one of those uh, democracy in the park days like the Democrat communists do all around the country where they pretend to have this big event with mobile voting stations and they just tell you that all these people showed up and they have thousands of new votes. Oh, they're expanding democracy. They're expanding access. And then you have the more high tech fraud systems, like all the stuff that has to do with the machines, all the manipulation of the machines and all of that manipulation inside the machines that they're talking about in Georgia, the erasure of records, the fact that no one made themselves accountable for those results. They did not preserve the things they were meant to preserve. They sent thousands and thousands and thousands of ballots to adjudication unnecessarily on purpose so that they could actually change the votes that people intended to the ones they want. And then you have the fact that those machines are accessible by the internet and that the results in those machines can be changed. And that's been proven countless times. And we know that the J. Alex Halderman report exists for the machine analysis in Georgia and elsewhere because they use the same or similar systems across the country. And we know that it's being made difficult for that report to see the light of day because people are suing to make sure that report never goes public. The fake administration's fake attorney general Merrick Garland is suing to keep that report private. And I know people are like, yeah, okay, but we know all this. We've heard stuff like this for a year and a half now, essentially. And I agree. But now you can see it beginning to take shape, to break into the central narrative. And you have to understand that these things do take time. But this time they are taking has contributed to the country's understanding that it actually isn't that hard to steal elections. Election fraud isn't a rare occurrence that affects things on a small scale. Election fraud is part of the system, and it happens on a massive scale. Each and every one of those votes in Georgia should not be counted. They're all illegal. They're happening outside of the law, outside of the rules, outside of the regulations meant to govern this exact thing, and no one is taking accountability for them, which should, if you're a rational and reasonable person, tell you that there's probably a reason that so many people didn't do their job. Half a million people in Georgia 
something like 2.6 million votes were affected by Pennsylvania going through with Act 77. Their Circuit Court of Appeals said that Act 77 was enacted unconstitutionally, which would invalidate all of those votes. Pennsylvania's Supreme Court has overturned that decision, and you can imagine now it'll go to the federal Supreme Court. Wisconsin had anywhere between a few hundred thousand and maybe 1.3, 1.4 million fraudulent votes, votes outside of the law in their election. In Arizona, we have up to a million. There are millions all around the country, millions and millions and millions of fraudulent or otherwise illegal or unconstitutional votes. All of those were counted in the 2020 election. And that is how we got to Joe Biden getting 81 million votes, which were not all real legal American votes, not even close. But let's change subjects without a segue and get to the Russia-Ukraine global crisis that our fake administration and the global communist world order have thrust upon us. So gas prices have now hit their all-time high. Congratulations, fake president. On the day that the gas prices have hit their all-time high, the fake president wanders out to a podium and tells us that the U.S. is no longer going to be buying oil and gas from Russia. Now, Russia was already cutting off sales to the U.S., so very bold, Joe. But Biden came out and said that this was necessary. This is going to hurt Vladimir Putin. Well, it's also going to hurt Americans. Yeah, you're going to have some higher gas prices. We're sorry about that. We really, really are. But we have to do this thing to Vladimir Putin that he was already going to do to himself anyway. And they constantly tell us that the whole world is aligned on this. So surely Europe must be the allies, the allies and partners. And by the way, let me just take a second and address that phrase, because Antony Blinken and Jen Psaki and Joe Biden and all the other global communist politicians in our country use that term allies and partners quite often. Well, allies are people we have treaties with, right? We have formal alliances with certain countries and the country America has agreed to those alliances. But they're also concerned with partners. Now, who are partners? Ukraine, we're told, is a partner. They aren't an ally. There is no formal alliance with Ukraine. They're not in the EU. They're not in NATO. It's just Ukraine. But they're our partner. That means we have important interests in Ukraine, according to the global communist politicians. But who else are our partners? Is the World Economic Forum one of our partners? Who else are our partners? Is the evil twin in every country one of our partners? Because we can't formalize the relationship, but we nonetheless need it in terms of accomplishing the goal, the global communist agenda, the great reset agenda that they are attempting to put in place. Our partners. What are our partners? I'd really like for them to explain it at some point. Well, it seems like One of our partners, at least in this instance, is not Europe. Donald Trump put out a statement today, just confirmed that most of Europe won't go along with the United States in boycotting Russian oil and gas. 
As usual, the United States will be left out there alone, being taken advantage of by Europe as we defend them while we read in the fake news how everyone has come together under Biden to fight Russia. And he's right. No one has come together under Biden. All of the threats everyone is making. I say this every day. It's still true. All of the threats that our allies and partners are making along with us have amounted to nothing. They haven't stopped Vladimir Putin in the least, and none of them have actually even came to fruition. What's actually happening in Ukraine, the support that the Ukrainian people are getting, and it's not the people, it's the comedic actors regime and the global communist regime. The support they're getting is coming from all over the world in the form of mercenaries and extremists. But I guess when you have a fake president, they can be our allies and partners, too. Now, there was a great clip that the war room grabbed in their cold open this morning. And I want to share it with you because it's kind of mind blowing how these people discuss things. Well, President Zelensky has thanked the U.S. and the international community from what, for what they have done already to put that economic pressure on Vladimir Putin. But then there's the request to supply the country with fighter jets. Both uh, the Biden administration and Poland are concerned, as you know, that this just sets up, sets the stage for a bigger conflict. And, and I think you have supported the idea of some supplies of fighter jets. So how do you square those two things? I 100 percent support the concept of providing fighter jets to Ukraine. Let me be clear about that. And I will tell you that everybody on the bipartisan trip that I just came from, all eight of us are in unanimous agreement about that. Um, these fighter jets, by the way, would be supplied by Poland, Romania, and other NATO countries that, um, that have a supply of, ironically, aged uh, Russian warplanes. The Ukrainian pilots know how to fly them. And so the idea is that we would be or that NATO would be supplying these um, fighter jets to Ukraine for their use, but with an, a promise, an explicit promise that we would backfill the supply of fighter jets to Poland and other countries who turn over those older Russian jets. But as and you know, the, Congresswoman, Vladimir Putin has made it clear, the Kremlin has made it clear they would see any in, um anything like that as an act of war. So even though it's not the U.S. directly getting involved with boots on the ground, even though it's not the U.S. directly providing air power, are you concerned that it would be a deadly escalation? It's always any escalation is a concern. But at what point are we going to say no more to, to Putin? Are we going to let one man, one evil person literally control the entire world. And I can tell you, having been there, having seen the refugees, the desperation on their faces, having talked to um, the, our, our own U.S. top military brass, having met with the governor of Lviv in Ukraine, we don't have any choice but to get involved in this. And to it, it's short of a no-fly zone. Keep that in mind. We're talking about providing Ukrainian pilots with the ability to shoot down Russian airplanes. So Susan Wilde, member of the Democrat Communist Party, took a trip. She saw the horror on the refugees' faces. And now she believes it's a good idea that we supply through other countries fighter jets that the Ukrainian pilots 
can use to shoot down Russian planes. And what they're going to do is have other countries send aged. She said that that's what makes it so ironic, by the way. They're aged MIGs. They're Russian jets, old Russian jets. They're going to have those sent over into Ukraine. The Ukrainian pilots are able to fly them. And so then they're going to fly them into the air and start shooting at Russian jets. That is what the warmongers in the Uniparty establishment think is a very good plan that is sure to scare Vladimir Putin into surrender. Now, if I was a Ukrainian pilot and somebody was like, hey, so it turns out you don't have any planes, but what we can do is give you one of the planes that the Russians used to fly a while ago. Yeah, I mean, it's a little old, but you you can figure out how to fly it. Now, go up in the air and shoot down Russian planes. If we do it this way, we're not going to consider it an act of war, right? And so the U.S., to complete this promise, they're going to send those countries that give the old planes to Ukraine. Well, we're going to give them brand new planes. And then it won't be that we are aiding the Russian war effort by sending in our own planes. We're just going to make it so that these other countries feel good about sending in their old Russian planes. And Vladimir Putin cannot get mad at us sending brand new planes to these other countries because we're just making up for the planes that they gave away. So we're not arming them either. Vladimir Putin, he's never going to catch on to any of this. They think this is brilliant. And they don't really seem to have anything else. This is just another threat that, I mean, there's each one sounds more ridiculous than the last. Today's threats are sending them old Russian planes that they hope they can use, even though Vladimir Putin has reportedly taken out a bunch of airfields. <laughs> the Ukrainian fighter jet pilots are going to take these old Russian planes up. It'll be just fine. Don't worry about it. They're going to shoot down a bunch of Russian jets. Everything's going to be fine. The other threat today is that we're no longer buying Russian oil. So Americans are going to have their gas prices skyrocket even further from today's record high. And that is supposed to scare Vladimir Putin. Now, the thing is, Vladimir Putin has already laid out what he wants in exchange for a ceasefire, in exchange for him backing down. He wants to make Ukraine a neutral state. He does not want them joining NATO. He does not want them joining the EU. They're already not joining the EU or NATO. So that's the sort of thing that the global communists, if they actually wanted this war to stop, they should just approve. There's no way that's going to happen. All they have to do is say, yeah, we're not going to try to make that happen anymore. So all good. And then he wants Crimea recognized as part of Russia. And he wants the two separatist regions, Donetsk and Luhansk, to be left independent. Those seem like pretty reasonable demands. I mean, those separatist regions were basically engaged in a civil war against Ukrainian Nazis who are trying to exterminate them for real, trying to exterminate them. And Crimea is already pretty much recognized as part of Russia. So all of those demands are just formalizing the way the situation should already be. And for that, 
small concession, Vladimir Putin says he'll stop. Shouldn't we be told by the fake administration and the other people pretending to lead this country and the world why those terms are not acceptable? I mean, it's fine if you want to make an argument about why they're not acceptable. But you can't say we need Ukraine in NATO or we need Ukraine in, in the EU because the story is already that they're not going to become part of that because they're not trying to push Putin into further action. And that was already supposed to be the scenario. Are we going to fight a world war so that these separatist regions that were already engaged in some level of civil war anyway can't be independent? Why can't they have their own sovereign borders? And do any of the global communists think that they're just going to get Crimea back? Of course not. Vladimir Putin said he was going in to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. That is seemingly what he has done the entire time. With the addition of taking out the global communist strategic assets in Ukraine, including bioweapons labs. So, There's a chance that Putin has already gotten much of what he wanted to accomplish accomplished in the two weeks he's been involved in this special military operation. Or if you like watching TV, this invasion. And we're told that a war is the worst thing that could ever happen. This thing that Putin's doing is so horrendous. The people of Ukraine must be saved. The fighting has to stop. Okay, well, then stop it. Those are reasonable terms. He could conceivably ask for a whole lot more than that, because the truth is the people he's going up against have absolutely no leverage. And that's been made very, very clear. It's been clear from the beginning, and I've been discussing it from the beginning. There has been absolutely nothing that makes me think anyone has any leverage against Vladimir Putin in this situation. The fact that they are not accepting these terms should tell you a lot about what their goals are. They could accept those terms, resume trading oil and gas with Russia if they wanted or not. They could open up gas and oil in America and then it wouldn't have to hurt Americans. But then that would be antithetical to the global reset, to the global communist agenda. And that is what they're really after. They were hoping to use this war to advance that cause. Now the war could potentially be over if they just allowed things to be normal, but they won't do it because the war hasn't gotten them all they wanted yet. And soon we'll get to move into a parallel situation with China and Taiwan. And you can expect to see all of these same things happening with the fake administration in a parallel version. They'll make threats that have no teeth. They will have no leverage whatsoever. China will do whatever it wants, and they will try to implement more parts of the global communist agenda. You can also expect that they will fail miserably and embarrass themselves and expose themselves in doing it. It's just a matter of how much harm they cause our society and how much suffering they cause to American citizens and the citizens of the world before we arrive at some point of resolution. Now, here's some interesting information that comes to us from Laura Logan, who used to be a Fox News journalist, and now she's in exile for saying the no-no things. This morning, she writes, most important false flag not to miss on Ukraine. 
There is no evidence Putin is trying to drag the world into nuclear war. On the contrary, any strategic military intel brain will tell you the purpose of Putin showing off Russia's nuclear capability is the exact opposite. You don't show your cards if that is the outcome you want. That is not how this works. Putin is flaunting Russia's nuclear capability as a deterrent and message to the rest of the world. Don't go there. At the same time, the steady drumbeat of war, 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 war is coming from the other side, from the U.S., and other leaders who, in contrast, seem desperate, determined, or intent on provoking Putin and drawing him into a broader war that will serve no one but the people who seek to burn the world we know to the ground, to allow for a new world order run by them to rise from the ashes, as it has before in history. Look to their words. Look it up sometime. I don't care who uses that to try to discredit me and falsely label me a conspiracy theorist. You can all save your breath. It's a fact, and the evidence is all around us. I have no time or patience for those who seek to blind themselves or lie. We, as in the corrupt leaders in the U.S. and elsewhere, have somehow figured that they have more to gain from a nuclear feint or a dirty bomb or a false flag nuclear event of some kind than they do from living up to the principles of the U.S. Constitution and leaving the world run the way it is now. Why? Ask them, not me. That is a question only they can answer with certainty. The rest of us are just guessing, even when it's an educated guess or analysis based on facts and evidence. And more importantly, it's their responsibility to explain their decisions, intents and goals, not ours. I can only tell you what I know to be true. If we don't stand up decisively, legally, morally and spiritually, the forces of darkness that are sowing confusion and trying to take over will lead us all to a catastrophic place where no one is better off. And the suffering we see today in Ukraine will be the suffering of us all. Putin's speeches are very telling and his demands are revealing, most especially his demand for Ukraine to hand over the scientists, etc., who staff the U.S. funded bioweapons facilities on their soil. Go to the text of his demands and see for yourself. According to multiple U.S. intel sources, Putin has already destroyed approximately eight of these labs. Three remain because the compounds therein were too unstable to bomb. They say he has the evidence. It has been documented. And what he wants now are the eyewitnesses who worked in these labs to present his case to The Hague to prove crimes targeted or genetically engineered towards Slavic people by those who openly threaten Russian hegemony. This should, at the very least, be part of the Ukraine conversation in the U.S. We need the whole truth, demand answers, and go to the history. Why have we, the U.S., been funding Nazis in the Ukrainian military at a time when we say the rise of white supremacists and fascists is the greatest threat to our democracy? This does not deny the terrible history of Ukraine and the unforgivable slaughter of Jewish people there. In fact, those who seek only to remember that alone are the ones wanting to erase the rest of the historic picture, such as the headquarters of the Nazi SS inside Ukraine and Western Ukraine's support for the Nazis. It wasn't only Germans who murdered all those Jewish people there. It was Ukrainians, too. None of this eases the pain of innocent people trapped in a war. No one decent wants people to suffer. But how much will the average American care about the people in Ukraine if the war reaches across the world and to U.S. soil? So when you see people on TV or read their heart-wrenching stories, ask yourself this. Do you want to be one of them? And that is a great question. So 
Laura Logan, a professional reporter, has intel sources that say Vladimir Putin has already taken out eight of those bioweapons labs. You know, the conspiracy theory. And as she mentions those people talking on TV, it's worth going back to that clip I just played a few minutes ago. That Democratic representative, Susan Wilde, was wearing a yellow jacket and right behind her in her little Zoom setup on her little desk or bookshelf, whatever it was, she has a little Ukrainian flag there. Hey, Susan, that's not your country. Why are you representing American citizens in the federal government and putting a Ukrainian flag in your Zoom shot? This is disgraceful. They took a picture with the Ukrainian flag, like a spliced Ukrainian and American flag in front of Congress last week. Who do these people think they're there to serve? And the truth is they know who they're there to serve. They're there to serve the global world order. Okay, they don't believe that their job is serving American citizens. They are all, all convinced that the world ahead is one where all of the countries in the globe are governed under a single body and none of them matter more than any of the rest. The people don't have freedom. They have whatever freedom they're given once they get a social credit score and a vaccine ID and a global digital currency. This is what the picture looks like. And it's crazy to believe that this isn't what's going on. They literally tell you that's what they intend to do. Then they start showing you thousands of ways they're doing it. And the entire time we are supposed to call that a conspiracy theory because the television hasn't yet agreed with us. That is where we are intellectually as a nation right now. And it's the sort of thing that can happen once a culture, once a society adopts a communist mindset where you are one of the herd. You are not an individual that gets to make your own decisions about what's best for you. You have to do what the herd has to do. And the herd has to do what the very, very tiny percent of people in the top of the management structure say should be done. And we have to listen to them because they are called the experts and the experts who disagree with them, of course, are conspiracy theorists just like us. And they lose their position in the party of false decorum. But to refocus on the nuclear thing. So Laura Logan was talking about the nuclear aspects of this, and we've been exposed to a couple of those at this point. We had the Chernobyl thing that world media wrote about consistently they were putting out articles for days about chernobyl everybody got scared oh my god chernobyl is going to create a nuclear disaster i mean no it's not and no it didn't but okay then they go and try to stage a false flag event at the zaporozhia facility last week a fire broke out in a training center that was nowhere near the reactors but we were told a Huge worldwide disaster could come from that. Was it the Russians attacking the nuclear facility? No, it was not. And the fire posed no danger. And the Ukrainians said it. And then the news went crazy. And then the real story came out. And we can see pretty clearly that that was a false flag event. But they are still talking about nuclear events because they want a nuclear event. They want something that will get the world on their side, and they are consistently trying to make that thing happen. 
And so they have now failed on multiple false flag attempts involving nuclear facilities. And you have to begin to wonder with what I was talking about yesterday, right? Biden got the intelligence of the global communist community, gave some portion of that intelligence over to Xi Jinping. And then she gave that to Putin. So Putin very likely knows all of the things the global communists might attempt to do. Now, if one of the pieces of that intelligence was that they were sure something nuclear was going to happen. Well, it's kind of interesting that we've had these failed false flag attempts leading up to that. They are conditioning people's minds to focus on a certain thing. But they may have overdone it or they may have already just failed spectacularly because every one of these false flag attempts makes the ultimate event seem much more staged. And you'd have to think at some point they will come closer to getting the actual event they want. But the whole thing on some level is a false flag. A false flag can be a real event. It matters what they're using the real event to do in terms of the narrative and the political agenda that they're pursuing. So it may certainly be true, and it seems to certainly be true, that Vladimir Putin is attacking strategic assets within Ukraine that likely mean a lot to the global communists. It is certainly true that he wants those separatist regions to be left alone. It's certainly true that he wants the Crimea to be recognized as part of Russia. And it's certainly true that he doesn't want the EU and NATO in Ukraine. And they were not supposed to be. That was kind of the deal. But that's not the story we're being told. We're being told that a modern day Hitler has attacked a totally innocent nation led by a charming comedic actor who has armed his own citizens. And now the citizens of Ukraine are bravely fighting off one of the most evil forces in world history. That's what we're being told. And that is madness. That isn't attached to reality at all. And it turns out that in a real time situation in this day and age, lying about everything doesn't work. All right. That is one of the best takeaways from this entire period. Their narrative cannot exist in a modern information environment unless unless it is highly, highly controlled, which is why they try to take complete control over it through the social media companies, through censorship, through total complicity of the television and print media. But all the people disseminating the information and all of the people in charge of the plan who need those people to disseminate the information, all of these people are as detached from reality as the audiences of cable news. They are just going along with their plan, their agenda, put out our stories, put out our stories, put out our stories. Everybody's going to believe them, except nobody does believe them because they are too slow and too stupid. They only have the central narrative. They can't adapt with new information and they can't adapt to new information because they haven't figured out how to incorporate all of that new information into the lie that they're disseminating. It turns out all you need to defeat all these narratives, which affect real events in the real world, and just as importantly, the perception of real events in the real world. All you need to do 
is spread the truth quickly, spread information quickly. And the information is moving so fast right now. Their narratives are falling apart before they even get started with them. Biden and the fake administration, they thought this was going to be a big, bold announcement about how they're cutting off Russian oil and gas. Ooh, that's going to hurt Vladimir Putin. By that time of day, this is the morning, right? They can't even get into the afternoon without failing at this point. But they announced this, this big, bold move. Everybody's hearing about how we're going to boycott Russian oil and gas. Ooh, McDonald's is pulling out. I bet Putin is so scared. But before they can send the fake president to the microphone, the entire country hears that we have reached all time record highs in gas prices. And the feckless idiot Joe Biden isn't in effect coming out to say that we're going to harm Russia. This is going to help us in our war. He's coming out to announce that he's raising your gas prices by choice. That is what the effect of his speech is going to be. That is why the polling numbers for this administration, this fake administration, will never stop falling. There is no bottom for these people. They cannot get the narrative out at all by the time we destroy it. So I know it seems like they are making things continually worse. And in reality, they actually are making things continually worse. This is all they have left to do. There is nothing else. But we got to hunker down and get through it because these are the death throes of this evil, evil, historically evil group of people who has taken control of much of our world. The way to beat them now, as always, is to be ahead of this stuff. Know what they're going to do so that you can see the falseness of it immediately. When that spreads, when no one believes any of this nonsense anymore, that is when it all ends. Everyone needs to see behind the curtain. And the real crux of the issue is how many of the child brains out there will refuse to engage with reality and how much suffering will be caused by their refusal before we reach that point. I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range.
It's high noon! In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!